catching you up with the latest news from around the Sunshine State that you should know, heading into this Monday morning, April 10th. I'm Elliot Trudeau, and this is The Point from WUFT News. Immersive technology has helped unlock the potential in autistic people who often face challenges with communication and social interaction. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 1 in 36 children are diagnosed with Autism Spectrum Disorder, or ASD. Using technology to better serve young people with autism could have sweeping impacts on education, employment, and independent living. I spoke with University of Florida researcher Nigel Newbutt about how he's helping people diagnosed with autism by using virtual reality. The work I've been doing is essentially centered around innovative and immersive technologies applied to autistic groups. Um, and we've been exploring ways that those particular technologies can improve the lives and the outcomes of autistic people, particularly focused around areas such as employment and education. Can you tell me about the REACH Academy and what role they serve in your research? I wouldn't just say it's the REACH Academy, but I'll sort of circle back to those uh, then specifically in a second. But all of the work I've done has been in applied settings. So I think for me, the value of doing this sort of work is to really understand the problems and the challenges um, that face these individuals, but in the context where they're based, right? So going into schools and going into classrooms and centers has been absolutely essential to the work we've been doing. And I've got no interest in doing research in research labs and universities per se, but rather undertaking real life research in places like schools. So we can really properly assess how these technologies can impact and influence in those situations. So when I was transitioning and moving over here to Florida, um, I reached out to the REACH Academy, I saw the great work they were doing. They seemed like a great potential partner. So I just reached out to them and we ended up um, after a few emails having some Zoom calls. Uh, and then finally, when I moved across here, uh, I was able to meet them in person. And then it was just literally a matter of sort of hours really that I could see that this, this were a really, really important partner. And moreover, we shared the same values. So the research that we do is not only focused on working in situ and working in schools, but also it's about locating and addressing problems that face this community by engaging with this community. So again, I've got no interest in coming up with research problems in a research lab from a neurotypical perspective, but rather I'm interested in engaging in conversations with the autistic community and their stakeholders, parents, teachers, and so on, and understanding what problems they're facing and how we can interface and address those challenges with these technologies. So the REACH Academy have become an, an absolutely vital partner in, in that conversation and being able to bring in student and teacher voices to our research to make sure it's being driven in the ways that it needs to be driven and that it goes in the directions it needs to go based on those sort of lived experiences of that of that community. One aspect of your research I found very poignant is creating a quote autism accessible city. An example of this is having someone wear VR set and capture what it's like to eat in a restaurant from videos. And correct me if I'm wrong from what I'm looking at, is this restaurant Paisano's? You're absolutely right. Yes. Yeah, so we I got in touch with with one of the founders of Pozano's. Actually, we have a contact there in the College of Education, and I had a conversation with him to try and convince him to get involved in this project and to be the restaurant for this particular scenario you're talking about. And again, needless to say, when we were talking about the opportunities this could provide um, the autistic community in Gainesville, you you know 
quite quickly, you know, they were on board with that. But, um, and they've been, you know, they've been amazing. They gave us access to their, as you can see from the experience, they gave us access, access to their restaurant, you know, exclusively opened it for us. They had, as you can see, the server, a couple of servers um, and waiting staff um, sort of work with us on this as well. So they were, you know, they were so, so open to helping helping drive this initiative as well because without the buy-in from the community which is kind of i guess what i'm trying to emphasize here is is it's it's without that you know we don't have these sort of projects and we don't and we can't offer these sort of opportunities um for autistic people in the ways that we might do so we were we were so pumped to have them on board also is the florida museum of natural history helping with this so yes they are they're um they're a long-standing partner in terms of working with other colleagues in the college of education but for this particular project um they have a Museum for Me event, which is a sensory friendly event uh, where autistic young people and their families or autistic adults can visit the museum from 10 o'clock till one o'clock uh, on a Sunday morning with, um, and they, well, what they do is they modify the museum is what I should say to meet the sensory requirements of people who can sometimes be overstimulated quite easily. Um, and they also make the museum more easy to navigate. So we're collaborating with them now and seeing how we can interface or bring in virtual reality um, as a way to help autistic people navigate the museum at home. So in the comfort of their home, uh, um, with their parents or with their caregivers, they can actually navigate through the museum before they come uh, to this event. And we're conducting a piece of research now where we're assessing and evaluating if that piece of technology does in fact do anything for them, um, help them become less anxious about visiting the museum, for example, a lot of autistic people like to know what they're coming into before they visit somewhere. So having the chance to visit it virtually could be beneficial. Um, and that's certainly what the research tends to say. But for this project, we're wanting to kind of really hone in specifically and see if we can identify what it is about that technology. The opportunity to preview something really, really does for these um, this particular community. So we've currently got seven families enrolled on the on the project, um, which we'll be studying over the next couple of weeks. Uh, the next event is on the 16th of April uh, at the museum. So we'll be there monitoring and evaluating things then, and then we'll be doing some follow-up interviews and surveys with those families to better understand how they experienced everything taken together, including the virtual reality part of it. Can you tell me about Zachary Larson? Sure. So you're referring to um, Zach, who's part of our research team. He's somebody who was introduced to us through his sister was a, a UF student, and she was actually Miss UF for the last year. And as part of her role, she was advocating for autistic people. And so she had a platform and she was helping to kind of articulate some of the issues and the challenges that community faced. And one of the reasons for that was because her brother, Zach, um, is autistic. And so we were connected with her quite early on um, when we were forming the lab. And so we invited Zach to, you know, be part of the lab for two reasons. First of all, he's... Um, currently a computing and engineering student at the University of Central Florida. So he has very specific skill sets and knowledge uh, which align to some of the work that we're doing. So some of the work we're doing is exploring STEM clubs. Um, so we're looking at articulating computing and technology knowledge through these informal clubs for people who are sometimes often excluded from STEM, such as autistic people. And so he brings a sort of a very special and sort of complete picture to bear on that, both being autistic and having the subject knowledge. So he kind of leads that work and is very much supporting running, running these clubs, actually. So we had one at Christmas um, that he helped to organize and he, he, and, and he helped to run. And so he's been, you know, a really unique and important component of the team, actually. And he is also somebody who can test a lot of what we're doing and give us feedback on on that as we're working through the you know the user interface design and the user experience he gives us a, a lot of feedback on that journey through there so he's a 
fully signed up and employed member of the you know of of the lab and of the team and uh, you know a vital part also. Can you tell me about your educational background and what influenced you to conduct this research? And so you can probably tell from my accent, I'm not from this part of the world. So I come from England. Um, I went to school on the outskirts of London there, um, and I attended university in the north of England, um, in Leeds. And my undergraduate degree was in digital media technology. So it was in a school of computing. So it involved you know, coding, making things, building things, and computing more generally. My postgraduate degree I did at the University of Greenwich in London, and I did a master's in education there. And then after that, moved on to my PhD work that I did at University College Dublin in Ireland. So I've hopped around a few places here, as you can probably tell. And my PhD work really kind of located opportunities from my digital media and computing background and my education background, coming from a background of, you know, I come from a family who have always supported and cared for people with disabilities and underserved communities. So those sort of triangulation of things really kind of brought me into this space of autism and technology and trying to find ways and understand better how technology could support autistic individuals. And it wasn't long um, when I started my PhD work that then that honed in quite quickly on virtual reality technologies, quite broadly speaking at that point. So there was no head mounted displays as we know now back then. Um, and this was in 2009, 2010. So I use screen-based virtual worlds, and we wanted to better understand how autistic people communicated and actually saw affordances with those technologies used in the classroom. Um, so that's where my work kind of, that's the journey of how I've got to where, where I am now with, with some of the work we're doing at the University of Florida. Anything else you want to say that's worth noting? The most important thing for us is that what we do and how we do it is really driven by the community and uh, what their needs are and what the challenges they have are, I guess. But also, this is a the work that we do is very collaborative as well, and I think that's probably come across in what we've been talking about. But you know, we have partners at the Center for Autism and Related Disabilities at UF. We have partners in computer science and engineering. We partner with the Digital Worlds Institute at UF. We partner, as you can see, with schools and with local organizations such as Paisano. So this is a real collaborative effort that, as I say, is driven by the autistic community's needs and wants, and ultimately trying to find ways that we can interface these technologies to help improve access to education and employment, and also how we can use these technologies to better educate other people about how autistic people face difficulties and challenges in the in the neurotypical world that they inhabit, right? So I think, you know, that's really what I would like to emphasize um, to make sure that, the, you know, that the listeners here understand that this is, and this is the way that I think we should be doing this, this, this work and research hasn't always addressed it through these sort of paradigms and these perspectives. And I think that's something we're trying to really bring to bear and really sort of promote with the work that we're doing here at the University of Florida and in the College of Education. That was University of Florida researcher and associate professor Nigel Newbutt about how he's helping people diagnosed with autism by using virtual reality. Now let's catch up with the latest stories from around the state. Voting rights advocates in Florida are expressing concern that an elections bill in the state Senate will make it harder for community groups to register voters. However, election supervisors have called for stricter rules. According to WFSU, the Senate Ethics and Elections Committee passed a 98-page measure, SB 7050, along party lines last week. It would place several new restrictions on voter registration groups, such as giving them less time to return voter registration forms to elections offices and higher late fees. In other news, more than $2 billion in 20 years. That's the cost in today's dollars.
According to WGCU, the time frame to add more lanes to I-75 in the most populated areas of Lee and Collier counties and to improve interchanges along the interstate. And finally, when connected to UF Wi-Fi, TikTok will no longer be accessible. Several students says TikTok is addicting, and they try not to use it. According to WFT, many UF students said the TikTok ban does not really affect them. Other students say they have unlimited cellular data, and disconnecting from the UF network and using the app won't be an issue. Subscribe to The Point Newsletter, which drops the latest Florida stories into your inbox every weekday morning at 8 a.m. Visit WUFT.org to subscribe and view the most recent issues. I'm Elliot Trito, and you've been listening to The Point from WUFT News out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism and Communications. Have a great Monday.